Coming up, a discovery of the week that is a handy hardware helper. Plus, some awesome but also slightly troubling laptop battery testing. Plus, a conversation with Avri Roth, a PowerShell for Linux enthusiast. Plus, a bit of an apology from me. And whatever else comes to mind. From Studio C in Premontura, Croatia, this is Linux for Everyone, Episode 51. And it starts right now. G'day folks, this is John from regional Victoria in Australia, and you're listening to Linux for Everyone. Welcome home. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Linux for Everyone and welcome home. Uh, my name's Jason and you're listening to the podcast that kind of explores the, the thrilling world of desktop Linux and open source software and the people who are creating it and enjoying it. Today is no exception. Of course, we've got uh, an interview with my friend Avri Roth, who is going to talk a little bit about his his Linux origin story, but then also why he has become such a uh, an enthusiast, a fan of PowerShell, and specifically for PowerShell on Linux. But uh, before we get to that interview and the discovery of the week and everything else, I wanted to uh, kick this off with a bit of an apology. I always encourage you guys to uh, to help keep me on track, you know, to keep me honest, and uh, and and to and to call something out if if you think that I have had a misstep or or maybe my attitude's wrong or whatever. Uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to judge you on that and I want to ensure that I'm not kind of losing my way. And I think I think I briefly lost my way. And uh this this was regarding the episode, I think it was episode 49 or 48 um about shells.com. And I want to have a chat about it. Uh this is fueled by a feedback letter I got from Kevin K. And I want to read you his, uh, his email in its entirety. Okay, here we go. Kevin says, First, I love what you do. Please keep it up. I have some feedback on the interview with Shells.com. I'll preface this by saying I know you want to be respectful of your guests. However, I found the conversation felt almost like a paid advertisement. I really appreciate you had the guts to point out the laggy input latency. Most interviewers seem to gloss right over that. However, I think someone with your reach and level of respect in the community should be cautious as the conversation almost came across as a glowing endorsement of the product. Shells.com is one of those products where the marketing and hype falls vastly short of what is actually available. Perhaps one day it'll be what they envision, but today it is not. I'm a professional software engineer and cannot fathom spending $40 a month for an 8 gigabyte of RAM quad-core processor when a snappy interface is pretty crucial to typing code all day. Laggy input is maddening. I can only imagine for someone that does video, photo, or audio editing, it's only compounded. Not to mention, 8 gigabytes of RAM in a quad-core is not a particularly beefy machine. Is it a cool idea? Sure. Does it have use cases? Maybe. But definitely not for what they're currently marketing it as. I'd be afraid someone purchases these services based on glowing reviews, only to be dismayed at the performance, and thus the reviewer loses trust of the audience. I'm sorry if this sounds harsh, but a pet peeve of mine is when those whose opinions I trust don't match what I see with my own eyes and can lead people's hard-earned dollars away from them. Trying to end on a positive note, I genuinely love your show and the passion you put into them. Following your journey has been inspirational to me, and I love that you're one of the few tech journalists who usually does ask the hard questions or point out the hard facts, such as your recent comments on Lenovo. Please keep up the great work, Kevin. Okay, so let's get into this. Uh, first of all, Kevin, I want to thank you again for, uh, for not being afraid to keep it real 
and uh, to keep things honest and keep me honest. With the exception of me challenging uh, the Shells.com team about the input latency that, that Kevin was referring to, in retrospect, looking back on this, I, I feel like I did kind of just give them the platform, you know, kind of gave them Linux for everyone as as a as a soapbox to kind of advertise what they do. And I um, didn't challenge them enough and I didn't ask enough of the hard questions. And there's really no excuse for that. And so I think what we need to do now is is do a little bit of a course correction and let's keep them honest now. These guys have, have been doing the, the podcast and YouTuber interview circuit, and people need to know, is it really a viable service for what they're advertising, right? So I'm going to spend my own money, and I'm going to give Shells.com a proper evaluation. So if I go to Shells.com right now, in big bold print, the first thing you're going to see is transform any device into a powerful, secure virtual desktop. Whether you want to code or create on your tablet or do work on your TV, with Shells, you can unlock the full performance and experience of a desktop computer on any device. Okay. Um, can you, though? That's, that's the question that needs to be answered. Can you unlock the full the, the experience of a desktop computer? Uh, so, And then they have some use cases. Their use cases are students, access your homework from any device at home or school. That's okay. Like, I have no problem. I have no issue. I have no doubt that you can do that with Shells.com. Uh, coders, test and deploy from one device, multiple Linux distros to choose from. I don't have any coding experience. So if, if there is some uh, really fast uh, programmer or code monkey, you know, who wants to... Uh, jump in with me and help test that aspect of it, please let me know. The email address is linuxforeveryone at pm.me. I will uh, I will spin up the, the shell for you and let you go at it, and, uh, and I'll ask you what your experience is. Um, another use case is workers. Consolidate devices and work from anywhere with any device. And then uh, small businesses. So, okay, those all seem feasible, right? So let's go on the navigation bar. They have a section called Why Shells. So let's look into that. Okay, scrolling down. Work on any projects from any device. Apps work how they should. Um, okay, access the desktop version of Microsoft Excel on your Apple iPad. Sure, okay. But when we go down to the bottom, there is a box out that says, For Music Producers, the full digital audio workstation in the cloud. Run professional-grade audio editing applications like FL Studio, Mix, and Audacity to produce your opus. Okay, Shell's, Shell's team, listen up. I'm going, to, I'm going to legitimately try to record a podcast segment using one of these shells, and I'm also going to use something like Bitwig or uh, FL Studio to record some basic music tracks, maybe guitar and vocals and maybe some drum loops. Uh, and I'm going to document and capture on video that experience. And uh, I'll probably have uh, maybe in the next episode or two, I can't promise when, but I will share my experiences with you guys on the podcast and I will also produce a video on the, on the YouTube and uh, Odyssey channels. And we'll give it a proper evaluation to uh, to make things right. All right, gang? Before we move on to the discovery of the week, I just have to say it is really hot in this car. Um as I as I alluded to, I'm in Studio C. Uh Studio A is, you know, the home office in Zagreb, right? Studio B is this little slice of the beach that I found uh the other day to kick off the the summer series on YouTube. By the way, if you're not watching Linux for Everyone videos, I would encourage you to. I'm doing my best over there, and uh, there's some good content. And all summer, there's going to be tons of gorgeous scenery from uh, from Istria and the uh, the shorelines here, the beaches, the forest. Uh, a lot of Slayer also, if you like dogs. He's a chocolate lab, and he's hilarious. Um, but I'm getting off track. I'm sitting in the forest, and it's like 32 degrees Celsius out there. And I think that's something like maybe 90 or 92 Fahrenheit. So it's hot.
episode 51's discovery of the week is called HW Probe. It's technically HW Probe. And I stumbled across this tool when I was doing some research for one of my um, Linux myth busting videos. I'm, I'm doing a series where I try to take these very simple, uh, very misunderstood things about Linux and, and prove them wrong, basically, to, to get people more interested in trying it. Uh, but but I, was, I was looking for some kind of graphical equivalent to what Windows has, the device manager, right? If you right-click on your start menu and scroll up to device manager, you get this visual representation of all of the various devices that make up your computer and uh, driver information about them. And you'll see at a glance if one of them has not been detected or is not installed properly. But uh, as part of this process recently, I installed Windows 10 fresh on my Oryx Pro, and there were a lot of those components that weren't auto-detected and were not working out of the box. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to be able to prove that those components were working with a fresh Linux install. And so there I I, I came across Hardware Probe, uh, HW-Probe, which is part of the Linux hardware project. You do have to run it from the command line, but the nice thing is you only have to run it one time, and it's pretty simple, and the instructions are right there on the GitHub page. You can just copy and paste it. It takes this very detailed snapshot of your computer's hardware, and it it checks the state of all the devices, and it spits out a URL, and you can view that URL and see this very, very, very detailed report. This comes in really handy if you need to troubleshoot something about your computer with uh, with an app developer or a distro developer. And another really cool use case is, let's say some of your some of your devices don't work at all due to um, a missed driver. Like a, I, I just you know it's it's not finding a driver. A driver's not detected. It doesn't it doesn't get supported in the kernel something like that, then what this tool will do is it'll suggest a proper Linux kernel version according to the LKDDB, or uh, it'll give you third-party drivers. So what I want to do really briefly is pull up my own Oryx Pro probe, that sounds really funny, and uh, tell you one situation where this can be really beneficial. I'm looking and it's, you know, like I said, it's extremely detailed tells you your system, which right now, by the way, is Kubuntu 21.04. I'm not running POP. We might talk about that soon. The kernel, the the model, the vendor, the year, the hardware ID, all of that stuff. And then you get into um, every component in your system. So it'll show you the bus that, you know, so maybe that's the PCI bus or the USB bus. It'll show you the uh, the ID and class, the vendor, the device, the type, you know, graphics card, sound, network, storage, uh, the driver, and the status. Now, the status is the most important part and the coolest part for me because you'll get uh, a green box that says works, and then it just works. You don't have to worry about it. There will be uh, maybe detected, but it's not active, and then detected with a note that says this device model is known to have problems. Okay, so let's click this. This is the i915 uh, integrated graphics for Intel. It's talking about Coffee Lake H, UHD graphics 630. Um, Detected, but known to have some problems. So if I look at this, it's really cool. I can see that this device is part of the following 26 different computers. And of course, these are these are just results from what people have submitted. It's probably part of hundreds of computers. Uh, but, you know, you can see that the P9XXEN underscore EF underscore ED notebook laptop is failed with Manjaro 20.0.3. But with the IntraWare Athena laptop under Ubuntu 18.04, it works. So that's that's one example of how you can start to drill down and see what maybe your issues are and how to get to the bottom of things. Anyway, I, I could give you tons of examples, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw my sample probe up there for you guys to look at for my actual Oryx Pro. That'll be in the show notes for this episode at Linux, the number four, everyone.com. I'll also link you to the GitHub page, which has everything you need to know. Uh, just download 
there's there's app images there's there's all kinds of different file formats so really no matter what distro you have no matter what uh, file format you prefer you're going to be able to install and run this pretty easily which is nice uh, but yeah, give it a give it a spin. You know, let let's add to this hardware database and let's help people out. Because what's neat is, like with graphics cards, uh, if you're having issues, you can see. Okay, maybe I need to upgrade my kernel. Maybe I need to try this alternate driver. Uh, oh, I see that it works on Arch, but not on you know X Distro. So let's. It just helps you get to the bottom of things. And uh, but yeah, let's let's all just run the probe. And so they have this data. It's anonymous data. I would imagine that it improves the the hardware ecosystem, you know, and on a bigger scale. So uh, anyway, yeah, HW Probe, super, super handy. And I think it's going to be part of my uh, my Linux toolkit from now on. So I've had the Pulse 15 from Tuxedo Computers, uh, which is a Ryzen-based Ultrabook. I've had that for a little while. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something negative about it. Okay, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be, I'm not going to be Mr. Positive all the time. You know what? Here's the negative part about <laughs> about the Tuxedo Pulse 15. It takes an entire day to run a single battery life test. <laughs> it's very time-consuming. <laughs> which is a subtle way of actually praising it. But yeah, I've run like 12 or 13 battery life tests, which, uh, which equates to about two weeks worth of time. I want to talk about this a little bit because I found the results very illuminating. And uh, there was one, one aspect of this that, that troubled me a little bit. So the Pulse 15 comes with Tuxedo OS, which at the time was uh, basically just a slightly visually tweaked version of Ubuntu Budgie. Uh, it will, however, uh, all of their systems will be upgrading to KDE. Uh, so now it's going to, well, it's going to be basically Kubuntu. Tuxedo OS will be Kubuntu with some, uh, some, some branding, you know, visuals on top. And things like the uh, the really cool Tuxedo Control Center software. But I digress. I won't go too far into the weeds as you know, as far as sharing like every detail of every you know all thirteen tests that I ran. Um, but I will tell you that the first test I did was pretty much out of the box, balanced power settings, you know, completely default uh, scenario with Firefox eighty eight. And I took a specific playlist from the Linux for Everyone YouTube channel and just played all of that. Uh, it was yeah, it was probably like 30 hours, so there was no there was no concern about it running out of content. Uh, I streamed that at 1080p, and I got a runtime of 10 hours and 53 minutes, which is, I mean, probably the most battery life I have ever experienced in any laptop. So a real testament to uh, what Tuxedo is doing and a real testament to the Ryzen hardware as well. Now, after that, I did a lot of little tweaks to try and just massage the settings and get a little bit more life away from the wall. Uh, I did stuff like limiting the CPU speed. So that's a cool thing you can do with Tuxedo Control Center. Is uh, so I basically capped the CPU speed at 1.7 gigahertz, and I reduced the core count by 50%. So I pretty much disabled half of the cores, and I ended up getting 11 hours and 23 minutes. So not not a huge uplift there. I mean, 25, 30 minutes of uplift. So then I went over to Pop OS, clean install of Pop OS 20.10, same scenario, Wi-Fi on, Bluetooth on. Brightness at 50%, balanced, power setting. But this time, I used the development branch of Microsoft's Edge browser, and I got a paltry 9 hours and 13 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, ouch. And then I ran, so check this out, I ran the same exact test with Firefox 88, and I got 10 hours and 11 minutes. So, rest assured that uh, Firefox is is still better for your battery life than something like Edge. 
maybe that will change someday. But as far as uh, optimizations for Linux, Firefox still looks pretty good. So on average, I was getting between 10 and 11 and a half hours of battery life using Pop! OS and, and uh, Tuxedo OS. So Ubuntu-based systems on the, the Ryzen laptop. And uh, I couldn't get much more than that using what I would consider sane settings. You know, people are going to probably have their Wi-Fi and Bluetooth on. People are not going to let their laptop just sit idle and do nothing with it. So that's not a good way of measuring battery life. Uh, they're not going to turn the brightness all the way down because we don't want to go blind. You know, we want to actually be able to see the content. Um, then I did a fresh install of Windows 10 on the Pulse 15. All I did, same settings, 50% uh, brightness, Wi-Fi on, Bluetooth on, Firefox 88, streamed the same YouTube playlist, so same exact testing environment, but with Windows 10. And uh, I slid the, the slider, the battery slider, all the way down to better battery. That's all I did. I got 13 hours and 17 minutes with really no tweaking out of the box. And so uh, I, I really thought, I, I guess I made the assumption that Linux was going to give us a lot more battery life, and I was wrong. Um, you know, maybe now maybe if I had tested with something like um, XFCE or maybe KDE or uh, a distro like Peppermint, maybe the results would be a little bit different, but I'm not so sure. Um, maybe I'll still test that and find out. But, but you know, my question for you guys here is what do you do to optimize your battery life without sacrificing the experience? I know there's stuff like Auto CPU Freak, and uh, that is a fantastic tool that just kind of runs in the background and, and does a great job to the point that some distros are starting to uh, bundle it in by default. So it's just packaged in with the distro. I used it to basically accomplish the same thing that I was doing with Tuxedo Control Center, you know, throttling the CPU and uh, stuff like that. But I think it needs to go beyond that. It needs to go beyond those those simple tools. So what do you guys do? Let me know. You know how to find me. Telegram, Discord, email, linuxforeveryone at pm.me or Twitter, uh, Linux, the number four, everyone. Let me know. Uh, I would love to gather some of your tips and present them to the entire audience on the next episode. So definitely let me know. Uh, appreciate you guys sharing those with me. The takeaway here, obviously, is phenomenal battery life, no matter what operating system you're using on the Pulse 15. But I want to do better. Well, it looks like we're, wow, we're almost about a half hour into the episode. So let's switch over to my conversation with Avri Roth, who is a PowerShell enthusiast and a Linux enthusiast. And uh, he's combining both of those worlds, and he's going to tell us why. Hi, I'm Avri, usually known as DM for short. My Linux origin story. So I guess a lot of people start with, you know, like the hardcore Linux stuff. But when I started with Linux, I was kind of, I don't know, being chicken. I didn't want to install it on, on bare metal. And somewhere mm. in the early 2000s, there was this little company that started... Uh, this little uh, application called, uh, I think it, back then it was called VMware Player. And oh, uh, I remember VMware it, Player. I well, and, I didn't use it, but I'd heard about it. Sure. Yeah. So that was kind of very early on. I found virtualization very, very interesting because it allowed. I was, you know, I was a tinkerer. I used to because Windows XP and and I used to run like w the server versions of Windows, and I used to tweak them to. You know, to have a desktop experience because it was so unstable. Yeah. So I was looking for for an alternative, and I don't even remember where I found the like or what distro it was. But I used to I started playing with all kinds of versions of Linux in uh, VMware Player. So I I tried Linux different distributions on and off, 
in virtual machines until I think somewhere like 2006 is when I finally, one of the earliest versions of Ubuntu is when I really took the dive and, and mm. it, it, like I felt it stable enough and things were, I had enough things that I could run that I needed. And, and that's when I kind of took the jump and I, and I switched it around. So instead of running Windows with a Linux VM, I, I used to run Linux with a Windows VM. I still used to do a boot for for games, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I started. I really liked the openness and and like the open source uh, things. But I was very much uh, at the time I was very much like a GUI user. Okay, so uh, what changed? I try to get into Bash and 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 you know writing like Bash scripts and stuff like that, but and I could do it, but it it a lot of it required a lot of I felt a lot of effort because it's the commands are not very uh, how would I say like user friendly. Like if you look, you you take a command like ls, and then there's all kinds of switches, and those switches unless you know what they are, they don't make make much sense like oh minus l shows you like like yeah and you need to, yeah. and the more you use I, it I, you 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 get used to it but i didn't like the fact that i had to memorize all these commands and then um uh, like read man pages to kind of get going and 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 uh <laughs> and somewhere i completely i completely <laughs> sympathize yeah i mean that's i think that's why i never really got into uh is it Pac-Man? That stuff didn't like dash S U Y, you know. <laughs> and what, what any of those yeah, update what, makes sense? Sudo apt upgrade makes sense. It, yeah, you know, so it's, it, apt, it makes apt remove apt install. Yeah, so I slowly learned to use the you know the the command line for as you said like installing packages and stuff like that. But I, I can't say I was thrilled about it. Like uh, it it was. It was fun, but I mean, it did the job. But it, like, I I used to keep notes what everything does and and stuff like that. And then I used to also run Windows servers. Windows command line was even worse. A lot of stuff like you couldn't do in command line at all, and it was very limited. So in that aspect, like Linux was much better because you at least you could modify config files to do like to to do all kinds of stuff and, and write automations to do it. But at least for me, none of those things were ideal. I think the first version of PowerShell was released, I would like to say 2008, somewhere around there. And I used to work for a big insurance company in the US. So I used to be a sysadmin, but part of my job duties were to create user accounts for new sales agents. And we, the company used to hire like 40 of them. And then they had to pass like their tests to sell insurance in different states. And I would create like 40 accounts and every account used to take like 45 minutes. And then I would spend hours creating these accounts. And then they're like, they wouldn't pass the bar and they would get like <laughs> let go. And then I would have to like take all this job that I did and throw it in the garbage. There's a saying that I really like that that goes: "Those who don't automate are doomed to repeat themselves." And That's uh, so brilliant, <laughs> yeah. I, love it. I, uh, I don't, I don't remember where I picked it up, but it. That's how it felt like I was doing the same things over and over again. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't interesting. It was just getting the yeah. the, you know, the job done. Like instead of focusing on stuff that's fun and interesting. And exploring new technologies and and how I can improve things, like I was buried in all that user account creation work. That's how I discovered PowerShell, really. Like I, uh, it's uh, so for those who don't know, PowerShell is a is a scripting language and also a, an interactive shell similar to uh, Bash, uh, ZSH, uh, Fish. PowerShell really changed my career as far as what I do. So as I said, I started as help desk, and then I was a sysadmin, and now I'm I'm a DevOps engineer, and and all I do is like deal with automations, and a lot of people that find that tried the Linux terminal and and find it difficult to understand and remember all these commands. One of the nice things about PowerShell is that it was a, it was designed in a different era, 
and it was designed from the ground up to be uh, to have like a unified and cohesive experience. So, for example, when you use Bash or use native, I would say na- like native Unix slash Linux commands like ls or mk or cd, mm-hmm. a lot of these they weren't created together. They weren't created by the same team, and and there's no unification, so to speak. So so just because in one command dash l's means one thing and another command it could mean something completely different and unless you're experienced with it you have no idea the the good thing about powershell is that every command is built from a verb and a noun based on the on the verb you know and the verbs are something like get set uh invoke remove stuff like that so if you have a command that starts with get you know it's it's going to get some information and and present it to you or do something with it and uh if you have remove then it starts with remove you know that it's obviously dangerous so to speak like air quotes because it's going to remove something and all the commands are following this verb noun concept so you're once you figure out these concepts, it's easier to understand what everything does. <laughs> One of the things that people not that, that are veterans to the command line, the Linux command line, don't like about PowerShell is that everything is kind of spelled out for you. So like if you have you, you, you yeah, so you like if you have like something like uh get child item, which is similar to ls like it gets you the the items under something and so you're not going to have like dash l dash dash h and you don't know what they mean like every all the parameters are very spelled out so you if you read a command it's easier to understand what it does yeah because it's Uh, human readable right because yeah which is maybe uh, maybe the veterans just don't like it because it's more keystrokes uh, also, another nice thing is that uh, PowerShell started its life as uh, as a Windows only shell, and then uh, a few years ago, Microsoft open sourced it and brought it to Linux and Mac, and um, there's even like creative ways to run it on Android that are not uh, officially supported by any means. What what I'm curious about <laughs> is if you can give us some real world examples of of PowerShell in your life, maybe, you know, I, I know that you've done, and I'm kind of leading you into this because yeah, I know sure. <laughs> you've done some really cool stuff. You've done some really cool stuff for Linux for everyone, for example, but it seems like every, every time I talk to you, you're suggesting this, this cool solution for a, <laughs> an issue that I'm having, or just an idea that you've had to make something better. And, and it's using PowerShell. So I personally changed the default shell on my on all my Linux installs to PowerShell. So when I open the terminal, what usually you get is bash or it's the default unless you change it. So for me, when I open the terminal, I get PowerShell. And the reason I, I do this is because I find things to be a lot easier. Uh, so for example, if I have to search a, like a string or a keyword in like a like thousands of text files, I find it like it's like a single one liner in PowerShell. A lot of little things that I want to do are easier to do with PowerShell. I can give you an example, uh, like a fun story, yeah. so to speak, about how we acquired the LinuxForEveryone.com domain name. So, uh, like, uh, you, you used to talk about the podcast. It's like, oh, the domain is Linux, and you would spell, like, the number four, all kinds of stuff. And I was like, oh, I wonder if the Linux, the number four, everyone.com is available. So I... I, uh, so Linux has a command that's uh, like you, uh, a tool you can install. It's called Whois, and then you can di- type like Whois, and then the name of the domain, and it will go to the registrar information and give you like the information of the sure. of the domain. And so I did that, and then I saw, oh, it's 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 like expiring soon. So then I wrote like a, a little PowerShell script that that's also another thing about PowerShell. You can run native Linux commands and use them in PowerShell. So like I wrote like a three-liner script that would go get the who is information, check the expiration date, and based on the date, if if the date is and the status, if it's expired or if it's about to expire, it would send me like notification. 
And then I, I created an auto and, and it's also very easy in PowerShell to, to write something that sends you an email. So that's what I did. Like, oh, I did it, so okay. one night, like, I don't know, like I get an, a message. It's like, oh, the domain uh, is expired and nobody renewed it. I put a few informations like, oh, if it's expired or if it's expired and you can buy it, send mm-hmm. me an email. So then I did that. And then I, I ran to my computer and I was like, oh, like, you know, GoDaddy or whatever registrar and like I used. And, and then I saw, oh, it's available for buy. So I just bought it right away. And then uh, this when I reached out to you and I was like, oh, look, I have this domain and we can use it and blah, blah. And it took us two years to transfer it to you. But that's a different story. <laughs> but like it was it wasn't difficult. It wasn't like some long script or like I didn't have to. Hmm use all kinds of like awk and sed and and grep and all kinds of difficult things to f- because that's another cool thing about powershell is that powershell is is an object based language because of that it's easier to work with certain things like if you have a date it's easier to increment the date because it's a date object so you can do cool things like add days or remove days or month or whatever it's easier to convert things um, like one time I built, uh, for one of the podcasts, I built a tool that converts the, like the on air release date, like on air dates and convert to my time zone. Like also like one, one liner wow. convert the time zone and send me like a message or something like that. So like for a lot of things, I find that once you learn the basics, it's really powerful and you can do a lot with it. And a nice thing also is now that it's cross-platform, I can use the same the same commands or the same things that I write to work on Windows, to work on Linux, to work on Mac. Uh, I have a little script uh, that I can share. You can put in the show notes. It gets the information of the system that of the Linux system you run. It knows like if it's Ubuntu, if it's Fedora, if it's CentOS, if it's uh, like. I can even figure out like the versions of Ubuntu very easily. And then I can run, oh, if it's Ubuntu and it's Ubuntu like 2004, then install these packages. And if it's, you know, 1804, oh. then install these packages. So, so like, uh, <clears throat> you can do something similar to that with Ansible, right? You can, but okay. um, Ansible is more if you want to have like a defined state of your machine. And you want Ansible uh. to manage that state. But here it's just, you know, like I, I have a setup script that's not dependent on anything and I can just run it and it will install whatever packages that I tell it. I can also do, uh, it hmm. can do anything. It also like, it, let's say if you want to, yeah, if you want, if you want uh, to modify files or you want to create like a certain folder structure based on whatever OS you want or like the like it's very easy to in PowerShell to know if the system is Linux. You can also, mm-hmm. by the way, like create one script that can configure your Windows machine or your Linux machine or your Mac machine based you know on on whatever you want it to do. So theoretically, and everybody out there keep in mind that i I am not a programmer of any kind, so I'm probably gonna sound really stupid right now. <laughs> right. I'm probably gonna sound very stupid, no, but I, nobody uh, starts okay. as a programmer or something you. It's like acquired knowledge, you know. It's like cooking. So let's <laughs> let's let's imagine that I have this PowerShell script hosted on GitHub somewhere, and mm-hmm. I get in a new system from Tuxedo Computers that I'm going to review, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to do some benchmarking, and I want to have a you know a, a a set a set package of software, right? Mm-hmm. So Pharonix yeah. Test Suite, and you know Steam, and and whatever. Um, so if I'm hosting this script on GitHub, could I technically just have this fresh install of mm-hmm. Ubuntu or Pop OS or Arch or whatever, open up a terminal and like, what do you do? Curl? Is it curl uh, yeah, to download so or wget or, or wget y- command? You, yeah, you can. You download can, that script and then just have it like yeah. execute. Yeah, you can everything. do that. You can also obviously make a script that, that installs like, PowerShell and um, and then, and, and then runs it. Question is yeah. yeah, and then runs it. You can also do that. You can also obviously 
make the script gets like installed the Pharonics test suite and then run the test and and obviously the rabbit hole is very deep, right? So how much you want yeah, to do? I mean, like if I could completely, that would be the dream for me is if I could completely automate uh, at least the benchmarking side of evaluating hardware. You know, for example, okay, I have a brand new installation of Pop! OS and I've got this script that will download PowerShell and install it and then install Pharonix Test Suite and not only install Pharonix Test Suite, but install specific benchmark tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should in Pharonix Test Suite and then run them all. That's yeah. the dream. And even you, you could definitely do that. And I'm sure you can even because it's very easy to send an email, so you can like even have it send an email to you when it's done, stuff like oh that. God, like that's you, brilliant. It's also um, modules that extend the language and give it all kinds of of abilities. For example, uh, there's there's a module that creates uh, like a little command line interface uh, and allows you to like pick information based on the input. Com- like the you can you can create one command and pipe it to this command line interface and then do something based on what you choose. So for example, I I have like a one liner that download like a a podcast downloader PowerShell script. So I can give it like the RSS feed of of a podcast like Linux for everyone for example. Mm-hmm. And then it will it will go to the RSS feed, get uh all the the episode titles and then pipes it to this like GUI co- command line interface like cursive and then I can pick whatever episodes I want, and then I press enter, and then it it pipes it to uh, YouTube DL, and it just downloads like all the episodes. No, I was just gonna say, like, can't you do that with a podcast app? <laughs> you can, but you, but you know, but you you can, but you know what's better than an open source app is is something you wrote yourself. And by the way, don't think I'm like some insane programmer. I'm I'm a very good scripter. And and obviously I have like system systems engineer knowledge to do all kinds of system engineer related stuff, but I can't I wouldn't be able to write like a program like a podcast app for example. That's not my expertise. So my expertise. So I know like I know how systems work. I know a lot of stuff like that, and I acquired scripting knowledge so I can bridge the gap of the things that I want to do automatically without actually knowing how to write a program to do that. There's also like other modules that are really cool. For example, you can take, PowerShell is really good at converting different types of information to different forms. So for example, if somebody sends you like a CSV file of, um, I don't know, like uh, email addresses for a newsletter or something, and you want to take it and put it in another app that, oh, it doesn't know how to read csv files it only knows how to read json files so it's very easy like single one command to run in powershell to convert from csv to json or to convert between json and csv or or all kinds of different data types so sometimes you know like you want to export from one program and it gives you it only in this one form and you want to import in another and that other program only accept this other form so PowerShell is really good for me or for people that figure out how to use it to convert between it's, these data types. It's it I think of it sounds like the sky is the limit, <laughs> so to speak, right? I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like if you can imagine something that you need done and the solution doesn't exist, you can probably script out that solution. Yeah, it's not it's not supposed to like it's not I wouldn't build like a full blown, you know, app in it but the way i i i like to think of it is like the glue between things there's this very expensive enterprise system and that system generates alert alerts but in the user interface there's no way to remove multiple alerts so you have to like click one at a time clear them and one time we had that there was an issue and we had thousands of alerts and we uh, we talked to like the developers of this app. No, there's no way to clear these alerts. 
So I told I told the guy like what what do I need to do? Like I have to sit here for three hours clearing alerts? And he's oh like, Yeah, God. that's how our program works. There's nothing you can do. All right, fine. So I there's a PowerShell module called Selenium. By the way, for honest test suite and a bunch of other testing software Wait use Selenium. Yeah, I've used Selenium <clears throat> to, to benchmark various browser uh, yeah. routines and speeds. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 for those who don't know, Selenium is is pretty much like a, a wrapper for browsers to to be able so for you to be able to control browsers using uh, like a mechanism, like automatically uh, to control a browser. So, for example, for Honest Test Suite uses it to test the browser. Uh, I used the Selenium uh, module. By the way, I ported the the Selenium PowerShell module to macOS and. Uh, Linux because I wanted it to be there, and then <laughs> what I what what I did is is I created something that finds these buttons in the page, and marks the, and you know clicks and then selects mark as read and repeats itself. How how many times I needed? It was automation, but not. It, it allowed me to automate something that I like that maybe I could do with native selenium but in using uh driving selenium via powershell was much easier because it's something that i'm more familiar with and uh, familiar with and know how to operate and it wasn't very difficult to find these elements and and it's it was really funny because the support guy called me the other day and he's like hey how did you how did you clear all these alerts probably took you a long time and i was like no i wrote this you know 10 line script it finds them and clears them for me and he's like oh that's so awesome you could probably do the same things in python or in bash but i find the powershell is easier to figure like it's easier to to understand and learn how to do all these things i'm trying to think about my <clears throat> my workflow specifically my audio and video production workflow and i'm going wow i wonder how much of that can I automate? So the first thing is that I find, regardless of whatever scripting language or programming language you pick, the easiest thing to do is to write some sort of pseudocode. Like try to figure out in layman's terms, what's like, if I had to do this task, what do I have to do? Get this file from here to here, convert it from... Uh, this format to this format, uh, put tags on the file, for example, all this kind of stuff. And then once you've broken it down, you didn't write a single line of code. You just wrote the ideas or the step-by-step the -step process that you have to do in order to, um, to do it. Then you can start working on like the Bash script or the Python script or the the PowerShell script to do it. Also, sometimes when you start, you don't know how to do everything. But sometimes, like you, you, you can do uh, step A. By the way, that's how I started when I created the user accounts. Creating the accounts used to be something that I used to do a lot of copy paste of first name, last name, etc. So at the beginning, I only figured out how to automate the account creation. And as I moved on, I automated more and more things and eventually i had what used to take me like 30 minutes per account used to take me three minutes by pressing enter and waiting the more you use it the more you learn the more you exposed to technologies that are used in the and and you get better and better a, a lot of people say oh i use this and and it, like i started learning powershell and it really changed my career there's also a lot of companies that build PowerShell modules for different things. So you don't have to learn how to manage this specific thing. For example, um, there's a community module for FreeNAS, right? So you don't have to... So once you know PowerShell, you don't need to know as much uh, FreeNAS and ZFS. Obviously, you need to have some ideas of certain things, but you don't need to know like how to do everything you can use the powershell to to uh you know do the things for you you just say set 
this uh, or create this new ZFS volume and give it a size and stuff like that as parameters to the PowerShell command, and it will do this thing in the back end. But you didn't have to learn as much in, in like as in the back end technology, so to speak. So it, it really helps you to experiment and learn and 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 get exposure to things that you know you thought you could never do and then you figure out how to do them and like and it blows your mind like ha oh this is amazing and you also have a sense of accomplishment when you wrote a a, a single line that downloads podcasts you feel like oh man this is so cool i made this do you have samples of your powershell scripts out there um i i do on my github I need okay. to obviously like do more of that. I also have a, a Telegram group for uh, specifically the the reason I created. Well, it started as a Telegram group. Now it's a Telegram group, a metric server, and uh, I think a Discord uh, that I created not too long ago, and it all bridged together. But the groups they're all called PowerShell on Linux, and and the reason I created them is is for, I think, two reasons. One, there I felt there's not enough information or communities for people that like uh, PowerShell and also like Linux and want to have like a place to combine them. Obviously, if you use PowerShell on a Mac and you come and you ask questions, everybody is super friendly. They'll help you out. We had people come in and... And try to convert Bash scripts. They don't understand what they do to PowerShell or, or vice versa. Like, and and even we have people that that have Windows related questions, and we try to help them. But the the focus is uh, PowerShell on Linux. Another reason I created this, and we could probably like this is a whole other topic, is the hostility that exists in our community and the Linux community today for technologies that are tainted because they come from, because they were flagged or there are people that specifically don't like them. PowerShell is a good example because it's created by Microsoft despite the fact that it's open source now. Like you could see that a lot with snaps or uh, yeah, system you D. do see a lot of that hostility. With, a lot, uh, a lot. And, I think with any like <clears throat> the larger a corporation gets, the the more hostility they attract. And so it sounds like you started this to kind of combat that a little bit, right? Yeah. So so every time I was you know in podcast and and I would say something cool, or I would like, oh, I figured this out. Like people, I I would get a lot of hostility. I left multiple telegram groups because i was i felt specifically targeted because not you know because i was using this technology that i find exciting and i'm not trying to force it on anyone i find it fun i find it empowering and and i want to share it and and i'm not trying to convert anyone i'm just trying to show that there's another option and I created the group to try to mitigate that, to have like a safe place for people to find these things exciting. Um, Good and- for you. Good for you. <laughs> I, I really, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's, I've always tried to uh, foster that same attitude in all the Linux for everyone groups. You yeah. Know, yeah. Just openness and, and be welcoming and be understanding and be open-minded and uh, no gatekeeping, no toxicity. Get that out of here. We all love technology. That's what we all have in common. But, you know, people have got to understand that it's not a religion. It's not. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and, okay and- if, it's okay if I want to have my Windows 10 installation just for firing up Call of Duty. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, like, let people use the tools that they need to use. And they will find Linux more appealing and more attractive and more exciting if your attitude is awesome about Linux. Exactly. A lot of people forget that behind every person of Telegram or Discord or whatever community, like behind every user that you see on the, on the screen, there's a person. It doesn't matter what Dristro you use. 
what shell you use, what programs you use, by showing people the cool things, but also respecting them. If they say, this is not for me, I want to use Windows, I want to use Mac, you actually show them the openness and freedom that, that this technology offers. And if if they're interested, they're going to go and try it out. Like you come and you ask, hey, I want to... I want to try this Linux thing, which distro should I use? And everybody's like shaming you for picking one or the other. Or, you know, if you, if you install Discord in a Snap or a Flatpak or, uh, or an app, it, what do you, uh, I mean, it's somebody else's computer. Let, I mean, you can offer them like, hey, I do this. Like, or I find this fun. But shaming them for picking one or the other, that's just going to make them run away instead of, experiencing this awesome thing that you know that we all share and love and 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 i want to share two things on that note somebody brought this post to my attention today um it's on reddit (laughs) (laughs) i saw it yeah specifically uh the linux subreddit Mm -hmm. and the title of the post is I'm still downloading my first Linux distro and I've already been distro shamed and the conversation turned political. Is this normal? <laughs> <laughs> like this poor, this poor person. Yeah. Is, you know, it, it's self-explanatory, right? It's the title. I mean, yeah. this shouldn't happen. <clears throat> I, I, I also want to point out one of the comments in that thread. Mm-hmm. The comment says, no, that's not normal. But imagine a room full of people. All of them are completely normal, except one dude in the corner who thinks the Earth is flat and that the English royals are all space lizards. Anyone who's in there will remember the noisy psycho who kept screaming sheeple at the top of his voice and think, I will never go back to that room again. And they're not going to remember the hundreds of just random people. So ignore the dude in the corner who had, quote, (laughs) opinions and just do your thing. Also remember that the person probably will never have any good ideas anyway. So if they say something that sounds like a fact, <laughs> chalk it up to absolutely garbage. Now, okay, that that's still a kind of a hostile attitude. But the summary of that is 1% of the people make up 99% of the noise. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm not excusing it. And I'm not saying that makes it okay. Um, and it's, it's a real shame that somebody had that much hostility and toxicity as they're like literally still downloading their first Linux distro. But I, I do think to an extent that kind of attitude exists in every community. I think we as a community try to need to aspire to get rid of those 1% so we can actually have new people come in and experience this wonderful thing. And Instead of fighting over which distro, like, you know, telling this person which distro should you use, how about tell this person, here, there's a bunch of distros. Here, you can, like, this is how you install a VM. Try them all. Figure out what you love. What's fun (laughs) for you? Maybe you like, you know, hey, one of my first distro, funny enough, was, I think, Ubuntu Satanic Remix because I love metal. And I loved like all the, you know, like they used to, I, I would, I, I would close windows and like this be this fire effect and, and like the wallpapers were awesome. And every, I, I, I think I even have a screenshot. I can try to find it of that, what that distro looked like. And the, the, like everything was cool about it. And maybe somebody would come and like, oh, this, this is, looks terrible. Like, why would you use this? But for me, it was like, and it, it was one of the things I loved about Linux. It's like, oh man, there's this this distro for metalheads. Bring it yeah, on, amazing. you know? Like it, it was it was so amazing. We, I think we have a, a obligation to give people the tools, not tell them to use A or B or C. Give them the tools to figure out for themselves what is awesome, what they love. Every person yeah. is individual. The same thing is you're not going to tell somebody, hey, listen to this kind of music because everybody listened to something else. This should be the same mentality. Give them the tools to listen to whatever they love and, and try it out. And then they'll figure out like for themselves, you know, what 
what they me, should use. It, like if you're if you're an experienced Linux user and someone comes up to you and asks, "Hey, what distro should I use? I want to get into Linux. What distro should I try?" Answer that question with a question. Yeah. Don't just say, "Oh, Pop OS." Ask them like, "Is it for a gaming laptop? Are you using AMD or Nvidia? What kind what are your needs? Like what, you know, is it for work? Is it for play? Like are you familiar with this?" Ask them questions so that you can, you know, give them a more personalized answer. And then maybe they're less likely to get frustrated on their first try. And at the end, you should also say, this is what I recommend, not what you should use. And if they don't take your option, also be respectful for that. Everybody is their own person. And, that, you know, that's, that's what I try to do with PowerShell. I try to show that, you know, I find it cool. It's not for everyone. Some people will love it. Some people will hate it. Uh, I also try to not bring politics into this. Like mm. that, there shouldn't be what, what, there shouldn't be any politics involved in what you install your computer. So if people want to get their feet wet with PowerShell, uh, whether that's on Linux, Mac, or Windows, what what do you recommend? Where can they start? You can install it via Snap. Uh, I know that a flat pack is being worked on. Uh, but it's not official yet. You can go to the PowerShell GitHub account, and there's links for a bunch of distributions, uh, like dev packages, RPMs, etc. You can just download the file and install it. People have questions; they can always come to the PowerShell on Linux Telegram group. Uh, there's also a Twitter account, uh, Posh the number four Linux. And, and ask ask away. There's no dumb questions. Feel free but, okay, to. But but if I know nothing about it, but but I've I've listened to you talk about how amazing and flexible and cool it is. Um, where do I learn it though? You know, not just asking questions and installing it, but where do I go to learn it? Uh, there's a lot of information online. Uh, there's. A few commands in PowerShells. There's uh, once you install PowerShell and you launch it, then there's the get help command, and then you can type whatever command after that. Uh, Microsoft released. Uh, I can try to find it, and we can put it in the show notes. They have uh, like I think a getting started, which is fairly new. Oh, um, perfect. Okay. Um, I need to you know figure out and and, and get my. Uh, stuff together to start but really make videos to get people you know familiar how to install the cool stuff you could do i think um it's it's something i plan to do it's just really hard to find the time to do it um but uh i'll definitely you know work on that so people can see it obviously you know i can talk about it but when you see something, it really changes your opinion. Well, you and I are planning to do a collaboration of sorts on YouTube. Um, and you've got some ideas and some demos that you want to show people. I'm looking forward to it. Well, dude, it's been a lot of fun. It's it's my pleasure. The LinuxForEveryone.com domain, it was just the beginning. I really want to help foster this community of of respect and, and a place for people to come and and find this awesome thing we all love and yeah i'm here <laughs> you know what i think i think you have earned yourself a forum sub topic or sub folder however you <laughs> like when uh when you know and by the time this episode launches the new site could be live i'm not actually sure yeah um, hopefully but are the the idea for the new site is to have all the Linux for everyone content under one roof and a lot of community content as well. And uh, we're looking at having either a discourse forum or a Flarem forum. Uh, and maybe we can have like a dedicated, you know, PowerShell for Linux section there. That'd be kind of That'd cool. be awesome. Well, I'm going to let you go, but not really because we're going to go do a video now. <laughs> Thanks again, man.
All right, my friends, that's going to do it for episode 51 of Linux for Everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you like this show, tell a friend. If everybody told one friend, we could basically double the audience. So that seems like an easy thing to do. So let's do it. Uh, before I say goodbye, though, I want to I want to do two things really quickly. Number one, a quick update on the brand new website. Uh, Nasif has pretty much finished the design, and I spun up a WordPress instance on Linode last night. And so we're going to start putting, uh, we're, we're in the final stretch now, and I'm really hoping to have the site launched within the next week or two for you guys. Number two, it is time to thank all of the Linux for Everyone super fans, past and present. I haven't done this in a little while. I do it on every video. There's kind of their own, uh, they have their own in credits sequence, which is really neat. But I want to thank all of the people who are supporting the show with their wallet or who have supported it at the $5 tier or more in the past. Um, if you guys want to do the same, you will have my gratitude, of course, and you'll also get some goodies, uh, some exclusives. For example, there is the CarCast, which is an exclusive kind of mini podcast where I just talk about some uh, some things that are happening in life and some behind-the-scenes Linux for Everyone stuff and play you one of my favorite songs, hopefully a, a song that you've never heard before, so you can discover some new, uh, some new great, mostly rock-based uh, bands and artists. I also occasionally release uh, completely unedited interviews, as well as early episodes of the podcast and uh, videos before they hit the public. So, let's do this. If you guys want to tune out now, that's fine. There's nothing after this, but, uh, but these guys and girls deserve... A big, big round of applause. James D, Casey K, Skeeter Murphy, George L, Tan, Tan, Tan House, <laughs> The Linux Experiment, Bearded Giant Games, Alex S, Carlos C, David Thompson, Ricardo Mariel, Jeff M, Blue Jackson, Eric Nance, Nathan Heath, Chance, Mark LeBrock, Ricardo M, Joe Paris, Julian D, Cassidy, James Blade, Simon Butterworth, Musical Coder, Dark One LTG, Grayson Petty, Luke Jensen, Sarah, Kurt G, Hogosha, Restless Nomad, Sammy Manila, Chewy Dorman, Infi, Justin, Slimbook, Joe Hill, Sean Winham, Jackie Moore, Nitai, founder of Help Monk, Blake, Dave Lee, Wit, PseudoWiz, Jay from Virginia, James Donaldson, CT Hood, Eric Paul, Tyler Brown, Electron Frost, Andreas Bender, Zebedee Boss, Sean Davis, Haplo, Linux, Paul M, Marcus, Leoman, Stephen Cross, Brad W, Jeff W, Lango R, Andreas G, Samuel R, Peter K, Joseph D, Carl S, Mitchell Valentino, Simon Moss, Stephen K, Spencer P, Taylor R, Burak Y, Kevin M, and Dustin W. Wow. I'm going to go for a dip. It's time for a swim in the sea. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. This has been episode 51. We'll see you next time. Until then, take care and take care of each other. <laughs>